Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Amar Sastry. Amar is a musician who lives in upstate New York. You may know him from his amazing Anatomy of a Jam videos on YouTube or his guitar covers on various social media platforms. He got into fish around 1997 and started seeing the band in 2003. Amar, say hi. Hey, everybody listening. Good to good to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited to have you as my guest for episode two. Um, and today we will be talking about Tube, one of our, both of our favorite songs, uh, one that I know we've we've discussed at length before. Such um, a, yeah, one of my absolute favorites. Yes, um, and quite the jam vehicle, uh, you know, if you look at the right time period. Um, now, Amar, do you want to tell uh, everyone a little bit about your pick? Uh, which version is your favorite? Sure. I, I, with Tube, I think you have to, my, my favorite version probably changes on the day that you ask me, but it's fair enough. You know, it's, it, there's so many amazing versions. Um, I chose, uh, 1230, 2003, a mid 2.0 jam, which is one of my absolute favorite versions of Tube clocks in it about 11 and a half minutes and it's just amazing from from beginning to end and one of those jams where every time i listen to it i discover something new gets better yeah got a lot of uh, the classic 2.0 sound uh, in this one my first note um uh upon listening to it when i did a little breakdown is thick guitar tone which yes, is Trace the is... hallmark of the era sure and it's it sounded i remember from the from the very beginning of 2.0, how different he sounded. And it, to me, it just changed the entire sound of the band, just kind of uh, a little bit more, you know, 
felt like a bigger, crunchier sound. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, this tube has has that in spades, too. Yeah, well, one thing I, I like about this tube, it follows a kind of formula that I've seen a lot in 2.0, where it's not necessarily in this order, but the jam has like a big peak and then dissolves into spacey oxy jam stuff. Um, yeah. You know, if you look at jams like the SPAC Piper, it, it does the spacey oxy jam first and then the big peak. Um, but I, I think a lot of the big jams from this era have those two kind of aspects. Yeah, the, the space sound and the uh, and that big classic fish peak where the lights go white and everyone goes oh, nuts. and Beautiful, kind of beautiful. Does that over and over. Yes. Um, and my pick... Um, my personal favorite version of Tube is November 3rd, 2018 in Vegas. Um, I know it kind of, uh, I think this one is extremely underrated. Uh, I think Miami 03 is as well. I think when people talk about Tube, uh, they tend to go for, you know, 12, 7, 97, 12, 29, 97, uh, Baker's Dozen, Chula Vista 2016. Like, you know, those are kind of the the more mainstream amazing ones. And I think, this Vegas one uh, tends to get overlooked. All three fall 2018 versions are phenomenal. Um, this one is my favorite just because I think from minute one of the jam, all four of them are just so locked in. It sounds so driven, purposeful, like no meandering at all, in my opinion. And a lot of tubes suffer from kind of a rocky transition into the blues ending. And this version goes back so well we have um i mean we have a nice major key jam because of course 2018 um and after the big peak mike beautifully slides the band back into a minor which is the key of tube and uh drops it into the blues but that that's that's one thing that sticks out to me uh about this version as well and i mean we can't exactly compare it to your pick because that one's unfinished (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, they're such different, different versions that in, I mean, fifteen years apart, I feel like two different bands when you listen to them side by side. It's yeah, there's even, so many uh, changes. Yeah, even even a year apart, you know, their their sound is constantly changing, and their improvisational style is so fluid, and you know, like the Baker's Dozen Tube doesn't sound like this one. Um, that's only a year apart. Um, but yeah, so I, let's let's get into a little bit more of the meat of these jams. Um, so I think obviously both of them start off in the kind of uh, you know typical uh, tube groove. Uh, Trey's doing his uh, vamp uh, on the A minor, and you know Page tends to take a lead uh, early in a lot of tube jams, um, whether he's on uh, Clav or Wurlitzer or Synth or Organ. He he tends to stick out at the beginning a lot of the time i think yeah i think uh in in the very early days of tube before it became a jam vehicle and when it was just a few minutes i think that the jam section was essentially just a key solo yeah um, where they just do that for a little while and the rest of the band would groove and support page and that, yeah if you listen to uh, the changed. the first couple versions from 1990 that's what it is it's basically the the jam is a 30 second to a minute uh piano solo from page so i was believe it or not pre-clav that's right yeah didn't get that until fall 94 he had such a limited rig back in the in the early days he had to make a lot of sounds with not many not many options yeah and then you know we've we both have uh 
Both have, uh, oh no, just kidding. There's no key change in the Miami one. Trey flirts with a key change at one point in it, but uh, not that one. But so we did, we did kind of make a conscious choice to try to steer away from the, uh, the more well-known 1997 versions. Cause I think there's not much that's left to be talked about uh, for the two December 97 big versions of tube. I think, you know, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're great versions, and I think a lot of us listen to them so many times that we could sing all the changes note and, and notes. Yep. Yeah, so it's so, um, and there there wasn't like a ton of, uh, you know, there was that big group mind groove thing that they were trying to do, or, you know, in terms of like grooving as one unit. So it's it's not, um, it seems like that's the focus, that was the focus for a lot of those jams. So it's, you know, it's the, the rhythmic aspect that makes it really, that makes those so classic, but you know, the versions we're talking about, there's, you know, harmonically, melodically, there's a lot more going on and uh, yeah. a lot more experimentation. Uh, whereas those, you know, the cow funk tubes from, from the late nineties are, are, um, in, you know, in comparison, one dimensional, not that they're one dimensional, but you know, when you well, compare yeah. them side by side, they do one thing really, really well. <laughs> right. And they were trying to do that. Weren't they? They were trying yes. to really, yeah, that was, that was the goal. So, you know, mission, mission accomplished, right. You know, Trey was trying to solo less a lot in those days and, you know, give, more um more space to the other members and you know it was it seemed like a very conscious choice that he talked about in interviews about playing playing less and you know they did that for a long time and for these versions you know that that kind of mindset went out the window which is which i'm thankful for yeah which i mean you can you can see kind of um the last bits of uh the kind of template for late 90s tubes in this miami one like you've still got a mic breakdown like there's still Fishman has a breakdown as well, um, which is in a lot of those late '90s tubes, like a little like rhythm guitar tray breakdown, like a mic breakdown. You know, you oh see yeah, that. the the start stop jams. Yeah, there. Yes, that, that's yes. all. And the thing about the the late '90s and '97 tubes is that a lot of those <laughs> excuse me those start stop jams happened in um, predictable order. You kind of knew who was going right. to go. Um, um, oh, at least in retrospect, I'm sure at the time, you know, you know it, it felt really. Yeah, when yeah, when that free. sound had only been around and tapes weren't as easy to get your hands right. on, I'm sure it was there was more of a novelty. But right, uh, but like for I know for the Miami tube, it was um, it was uh, I think trade as one of the first start stops. Everyone else stops, and then Mike and Paige battle a little bit, and then Fishman does an anti drum solo where he's I like, love when he does that. <laughs> the anti, they're so good because I, I think he's talked about this at length and in, in press where he's like, I, I don't like he doing drum, drum solos. solos. Yeah. He hates them, and I, I know he's appreciative of the of the art of the solo, but you know he says that's not for him, which is funny because he's so so good at it. Like he doesn't, um, but Octopus. he's got right. Yeah, he's he's got that big. Um, fu attitude when it comes to drum solos and it shows um yeah. you know like especially in that version where he he's all over the place and it's it sounds so good and it, it's really unpredictable and unlike any drum solo i've ever heard which is yeah. probably his intention yeah i know my, my favorite is when he'll like be absolutely tearing it up during a song and then they'll do an anti-drum solo and it's like if if he had just kept playing what he was doing before it would have been an awesome drum solo but he purposely like, just like, do, 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 do. like I know uh, one that I remember was uh, Meat from Hampton 2018. Uh, oh yeah, that. I think I remember that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and another really cool thing uh, about this version is, I mean, you know, regardless of 
whether they were like spacey and ambient or rock and there was a, a lot of intensity to 2.0 jams i think um because i think that's due in part to uh those being some of uh mike and fish's best years um i think it also might just be because mike was really nice in the mix uh in that era um but i noticed in a lot of 2.0 jams mike and fish are absolutely locked um and the grooves are just amazing i think that definitely contributes to the intensity even if trey and page are both just dicking around with effects and noises and stuff you still got that grounded bass um and at, at the end at the end of um this miami tube when it kind of drifts off fishman's still holding the beat um while everyone else is just going off into outer space i, I think that's really cool that's uh and i i like it yeah that's that's a that's a good point the the mix i felt like added so much to the their direction in a lot of jams and and songs and performances because 2.0 was that, that was the last time that uh paul languedoc was was behind the the boards oh, yeah. who who was the the famous luthier who who built mike and, and trey's um basses and, and guitars mm-hmm. um and he that was his he you know, i think he started running sound in in the in the late 80 or mid late 80s uh, pretty much mm-hmm. since the beginning all the way till the end of 2.0 and he um i i really uh he's to me very much an uns- an unsung hero um in in the scene because of how how good his sound was i remember it, it which was probably the best sounding outdoor concert I've, it was the, the most crystal clear sound i've ever heard in my entire life i couldn't um and i remember getting there and i was like oh yeah this is why people travel thousands of miles <laughs> to see this band you know and it was yes. it was so um and i think we i know a lot of people took it for granted and um i know the new guy is great too obviously but um Paul was really had something special, and and in those two point oh years, name is? <laughs> uh, I think it's Gary Brown, Gary with two R's, I believe. Shout G-A. out Gary Brown. Yeah, I, I believe I could be wrong about that, but I believe he he's uh, he runs front of house for for them. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I know, I know I've I really enjoy uh, I've enjoyed a lot of uh, the mixes from the past uh, few years. I know uh, there were there were a few years in kind of mid three point uh, at this point, like uh, twenty. 14 and 15 where mike was uh got kind of low in the mix um but they brought him back up recently and mm, very nice yeah 2009 was very at least you know for this is, i don't, well, that, I don't that know was, what other people yeah feel but it, that was, it was really a recalibration rough. but i mean the, you're you're right the the thing is the um i remember the very uh 3609 the first comeback show it was i i've never i don't think i've ever heard uh worse sound at a fish show in my entire life you were there mixes, yeah i was there yeah I, oh. I was there um and uh yeah and it was it was probably um yeah i the mix was all over the place it was like people would just disappear I, maybe it was just my memory of that night um and i saw a bunch of shows over summer 09 it started to get better and better and i think you know probably by the end of that year they had it pretty dialed in and you know gary was um was yeah. new to the to the mix so i you know definitely uh a huge learning curve but yeah i'm i'm a big fan of like 2010 through 2012 how uh how the sound was yeah those a lot of mic for sure yeah very crisp sound and um i i think it's a universal fan thing that everyone wants mic yeah. as as loud as, as possible for people for, for a louder reasons. mic um, right which i think that in and that in turn played a big role in uh you know a lot of the funk jams in the late 90s tying it back to the subject that we're talking about we're really bad at staying on topic. 
That's a, I, I mean, that's that's uh, if fish can do it in in their music, if they can meander, why can't Ooh, we? Right. Fair enough. It's it's uh it's it's not like we're talking about. I'm not going to name an artist right now because I'll get death threats. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's it's it's. I think I think it's okay to move around and and segue from topic to topic. But you know, yeah. to your to your original point that the um you know the 2.0 sound had a lot to do with it. Mike and Fish being uh, especially loud and, and present in the mix uh, came out in a lot of those jams where um, feels yeah. like Paige and, and Trey had to do uh, rhythmically a lot less if they wanted to because Mike and, and Fish were so present and so dominant and and so driving um and like that like that miami tube yeah yeah and i want i want to let's 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 build a little bridge here between miami to vegas um you know some of the some of the key versions in between i know i'm I'm sure as i'm sure many people know uh most tubes uh pre 2016 or so uh or from 09 to 2016 were more three minute uh kind of funk jam affairs um, similar to how they were in the earlier nineties. Um, I mean, but with more funk, um, and I mean, you know, the big Chula Vista 2016 kind of comeback jam, uh, for the song, which was huge. And then Baker's dozen, obviously, which is the big one. I think those versions all kind of built on ideas. And now we get from 20 in 2018 and 2019, especially, I don't think there's a single version. That's just a straight up tube jam. I think, Every version from the from those two years, even the six minute ones that don't break out of the song per se, um, have a little bit of extra something to them. You know, I think that's part in due to you know Trey's expansion of his effects in his rig and Page's addition of his synths, which obviously have played such a huge part in jams from the last year uh, in the last couple of years. And in the Vegas one, he uses uh, his synth beautifully. Um, in uh, at around just before the four minute mark, uh, just play a little clip of this. Um, he kind of he moves away from the clav and does a really nice run, walk down thing on the synth, um, which I really like. That's the synth lord himself, Paige McConnell, which he also goes synth lord in the Miami tube uh, towards the end. He does. Yeah, yeah. that's right. The, my uh, last note of the song is um, my last note of the song is Paige is summoning spaceships on CS60. <laughs> yes, that's 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 spot on. It, it gets um, the wheels fall off and in that jam. And it's like a beautiful controlled way. And, and um, if you've ever tried playing that weird kind of spacey thing they do in the uh in that in that miami tube um if you tried doing that like with other band you know with other musicians it is so so hard and they make it sound i remember when i first started listening to that kind of stuff that they would do yeah and it's like i was like i was like oh they're just kind of like you know you know at at the time i was like oh they're kind of like playing you know nonsense you you listen closer you're like oh no this is there's some deep shit happening here it's it's really it's like they're really um 
you know, going out there. And it's, it's, it's so hard to put into words how they, how they do it, but it's, you know, everyone knows it when, when they hear it, that, that kind of, the kind of out there space thing where, yeah, um, Th- it's, those it's are controlled. my favorite kind of spacey jams when Fishman is still holding down the, the rhythm and there's still like a bass to it, but it's like drifting off a lot. So, I mean, and I do prefer it when they, do, you know, when they don't do that for 20 minutes, looking at you fall 99. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, maybe I I just realized I made a fall 99 joke about the same thing in the last episode. So maybe I'll just make it a thing. Every episode I trash on fall 99 for having 20 minutes of the same jam. That's a (laughs) callback humor. I think they call that in the the industry, maybe. Um, Yeah, that's that's great. Do a contest in like a year, like find all the timestamps of all of my Fall 99 jokes. (laughs) Yes, and you will win a Fall 99 recording of your choice. (laughs) That's not bad. Gotta write that down. Remind me in a year. Um, Anyway, back to the jams. Um, You gotta, what's, let's take another piece out of this uh, Miami tube, your favorite part. It has to be, so the start stop jams. Are, are instantly great that you know it, it yeah. starts the, and a lot and I, oh i think what i love about this too is that a lot of start stop jams don't happen till later in songs but this one happens like i think less than a minute into the, yeah. into the jam so i think like you know you know that they're kind of in a playful mood so i think that that's probably one of my favorite things is how it starts and it's it's it felt at least at the time unexpected to have a start stop jam so so early in a, bonus, in a jam no wooing Right, no, no wooing. That was. I wish there was a way that you could woo while you're at the show, but then it just doesn't show up on the recording. Uh, There is a way. You just have to woo silently, like inside. Yeah, that's hard. It is hard. Yeah. When when you're in the building, it's really hard not to. See, I mean, it's uh, obviously Trey's at fault because he eggs the audience on to woo much of the time. So I, I can't. I you know I'm still allowed to to bash on wars while wooing myself you know that's that's okay it's um... yeah and i know uh i forget if it was you or someone else brought up on twitter yesterday like man back in the uh we were watching uh about the halloween streams and it's like wow people in the 90s used to know how to clap on the two and four (laughs) and i was like underrated skill what happened (laughs) That's uh. There's this great YouTube video. I think it's uh. I think it might be Harry Connick Jr. I know it's like a very famous keyboardist um singer. I, I believe it's him. Uh, he's playing at some you know some big gig and the audience is clapping on the one and three and he adds an extra beat and all of a sudden they're clapping on the two and four and it was it's just so masterful. That's like, awesome. That's, that's yeah. how you. That's it's a professional right there. Yeah. So I I think that's part of the problem with wooing is that you know you have all these wooks in the crowd who aren't paying attention to the time and just yelling woo in the break. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's part of why uh, people don't like them. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's true. (laughs) Um, let's play a clip of those woo list start stop jams from Miami too.
I love just breakdowns are fun. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, a lost art, and you know, Fish kind of made it their own thing. And a, a lot of you know R and B and funk bands used to do that all the time. You know, multiple times a night sometimes, and you know, at their shows. And it was it's it's um it's a very classic kind of sound that you at least yeah. I hadn't heard till Fish started doing it um in kind of a modern context. And it's so, um, and of course, they're improvising it right there there. Um, yeah, and I think I think part of that came from uh, like summer '97, the development of the funk when they had that James Brown VHS on the tour bus, right? Um, and I mean, you hear this uh, start-stop breakdown thing in the uh, the Virginia Beach '97 gin, um, like they do like some shenanigans where they like do like a like a four-count break or something like that, which is you know. That's what they were, they were getting from the James Brown thing, which is really cool. I, di- I didn't know about the James Brown thing until they did that uh, dinner in a movie and somebody mentioned that uh, online. And I, I thought I think that's a really cool detail. Yes, that was um, Mark Brownstein, I believe, from Disco Biscuits, who said that mm-hmm. he actually got to watch the that VHS on the tour bus with the band. Um, and I asked him to tell the story and he's like, oh, it's for another time. So that's phenomenal. hopefully one day he'll he'll tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Brownie. Cool guy. Um, anyway, back to, you know, jamming. So <laughs> keep saying that. Um, it, it must be you because I, I don't think I was getting sidetracked as much in the last episode. So. Yeah, it's probably that's very possible. damn you for having other in, like so many intelligent topics to discuss <laughs> in relation to this band. I have a lot um, of horrible things to say, so we'll keep trucking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wrong band. Right. <laughs> um so one of my other favorite parts of this Vegas tube um is Paige on the Wurlitzer during the bliss portion. You know, we've heard the we've heard the piano bliss jam which which happens later and it's obviously amazing, but Paige there's something about Paige being on the Wurlitzer or the Rose what roads while we're in a bliss jam that's just so alluring to my ears and it's just it sounds so nice it's a bit gentler i think um silky sound of the electric piano um it's trey solos um i just i think it's phenomenal It's a big part, at least to me, is the with that sound, especially in that in that jam, is uh, you know the Wurlitzer and the Rhodes. They're stereo instruments, right? So you hear like a warble from from left and right between especially between channels, the right? Especially the Rhodes. So it's like to me, that's inherently psychedelic. You know, like just hearing that, you know, just holding a note, holding like a chord on a Wurlitzer or a Rhodes, yeah. to me is like it's like a it's like a religious experience just to hold it and just feel that that warble that that kind of warp going from left to right speaker and and to yeah. me it's, it's especially very... yeah another version of tube that does that 
so so well is mexico 2019 february 22nd that version gets a little bit spacey page hits the roads you listen to that in headphones it's like he's wrapping you in a warm blanket of electric piano it's such a nice sound beautiful beautiful and and it's not always on um and it's it's sometimes it's harder to pick up at a show as well because you know you're in a big room and it's not being piped directly into both of your ears um but you know when he switches that on when i'm listening especially when i'm in the car (laughs) yeah for sure you feel it reverberate in the cabin yeah it's oh it's so good and fish is one of the few bands that can afford to tour with worlds or roads and oregon and uh you know a lot of a lot of bands don't have that yeah Yeah. and and a lot of bands use digital you know uh plugins and stuff to get that sound and some of them can sound really good i i've used some in my recordings that i think sound sound great but there's really nothing to at least to me nothing can compare to the real analog kind of sound of of that and well in my rig i the only real instrument i have is a piano everything else is digital patches for them but i know i know most bands uh i think if they're if they pick you know one or two of them they go with or an organ or a clav um and then they'll you know they'll use a nord um but no page is too cool for that he has a sixty five hundred dollar nord for his samples <laughs> wow so that's... you can suck on that musicians <laughs> that is that's that's amazing well he i guess he's he's earned the the right to ball out on his on his yeah. rig yeah, I I I I'd say that um Page's rig probably is the most expensive, but I don't know how much guitar amps and racks and microphones and stuff costs for like Trey's rig and mics for that matter. Um or yeah. how much a marimba lumina costs. That's true. I I isn't <laughs> I, I think it's got to be some kind of custom instrument, right? You can't like order one from Guitar Center. I believe that was I... <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> I'd like to order two marimba luminous, please. <laughs> uh, um, no, marimba lumina price. Okay, it's only five thousand dollars. Oh, it's not bad. You know, yeah. I don't. I, I think from my, I'm very ignorant about about train and Mike's at least modern gear setup, but I don't think they have that many. You know, like a ton of gadgets compared to. A lot of other bands, so I, I, you know, at least for Trey, the most, the priciest part of his rig are, are probably his guitars, which are you know approaching close to priceless. Um, I I don't know. think they. I I think they're definitely priceless, all of them. Like, I don't know if there's right. a. Like I mean, you saw how much Jerry's guitars sold for um, after he died, but you know, I I I Trey's guitars are definitely priceless. Like those are, things are works of art. Yeah, I I want one just so I can hang it up and and look at it. I wouldn't even yeah. I don't even, even need it. to play it. Don't <laughs> even need to play it. Just just yeah. stare at it. <laughs> yeah, just a a replica of the Osadoc just in my bedroom. So it's the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning. I'm just like yes. Oh. And you know, and speaking of that, it's it's the the big thing to me about the the O3 sound, which this tube is probably the, one of the best examples of. Is Trey took a a little pedal called a compressor out of his rig and. Uh, the compressor. Awesome if you listen compressor. to, for example, like um, uh, what's a, a, a like a Guela Papyrus, something with a, with a lot of pop in the sound, he's got this this thwack and in, in all of this in his single note playing that's very very apparent and just a huge part of the sound. Um, oh, yeah. And when he took that out of his of his rig, and his excuse was that he he's like, oh, I, you know, I couldn't find it or something. I, I yeah, I think he I, lost it or it broke or something, and then 
in 09 when fish came back a bunch of fans got together bought him a new ross compressor and sent it to him and that's the one that's still in his rig (laughs) right and the and the um and to me like i don't i don't i don't buy that because i don't think you 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 take a pedal out of your chain that's been on your board for decades (laughs) unless it's a very conscious decision um that that's my that's my opinion uh, yeah. But I think, you know, at the time, I, I, I don't think I loved it compared to that, you know, really smooth, lasery sound he had in the in the yeah. 90s because it was like big and very kind of hairy in, in 03. But in this in the in this Miami too, every he goes into like three or maybe three or four different solos and he does this thing, which I don't know any guitar player in the world can do as as good as him, which is he he'll kind of go in between rhythm playing and melodic soloing. Um, while Paige and Mike are weaving around him, and it's it's I don't I've never heard anyone do it that way. And this yeah, tune is no, probably one of my no favorite band, examples. No other band jams like this. You know, it, it's right. so cool listening to the interplay because of the fact that even the other jam bands, most of them have gone through a lineup like multiple lineup changes. Um, sure. And I mean, you know. Fish's lineup hasn't changed since Jeff Holdsworth left the band in 1986. Um, they are one single mind when it comes to improvisation. You know, that's that's their right. thing. And, and it's, anyone it's who's so cool. and anyone who's been in a band is if you're within a band, if you're in a band with three other people, it's like you all you automatically have like three new wives in in the sense of <laughs> having to maintain these very uh, intricate relationships. Uh, and you know, um, it's uh, for them to be together that that long to me kind of speaks volumes about their their friendship and and love for one another. Yeah, but yes, I, your your point about the switching between rhythmic and melodic playing is such a good point, and that that's very present in a lot of tube jams because he does play a lot of rhythm guitar towards the beginning, and sometimes he'll you know he'll kind of trade off with Paige. He'll you know he'll do some soloing and then go back to the rhythm. Um, and he does that in, uh, he does that in, uh, kind of the beginning ish of, uh, the Vegas tube jam. Um, you know, he very much, uh, is weaving Paige and Trey are weaving around each other. And I, I love it. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. That's one of the, uh, the, the things that they do, uh, like you said, in almost every tube, there's that, there's that kind of back and forth between, train page where they're kind of on one team and fish and mike are on another rhythmic team um in the sense of exploration and they all and sometimes it's a pretty strict dividing line and sometimes they're all kind of doing it with each other and it's it's uh, to me that speaks of the of how malleable they are as improvisers and how difficult it is to do and how easy they make it look yeah yeah especially um you know as someone who you know, I'm in a fish cover band. Um, modulating isn't always so easy. And when they do it um, on a dime uh, or just so well um, with each other is so impressive. Like, yes, it's the A minor to C modulation doesn't have much of a change in the sound except for the root note, pretty much. Um, but it's so cool listening to how it happens. You know, Trey will, you know, start using C as the root note on the guitar. I'm not, as a keyboard player, I'm not a hundred percent 
sure how how to get that different sound if you're playing the same runs of notes. Um, but I know the like the whole band catches on almost immediately, and it's really cool. Around just before four and a half minutes, um, fantastic modulation. Um, and then the modulation back into the jam after the big peak at the end. Um, after the peak, Fishman makes the spot-on decision to bring back the tube beat um, around 8 minutes and 40 seconds, and then Mike slides it back into A minor. Let's play a clip of that transition back into the song, actually. they do it it's just one brain four quarters um yeah and one other really really cool thing about uh the vegas tube that i like is uh trey's use of the mutron uh, the ottawa envelope filter jerry garcia effect um during the peak um because a lot of the time that's used for you know funk jams and funk <laughs> or you know and you think it would be more at home earlier in the jam when they were in the minor key tube uh proper um but i really love the way it kind of like it's kind of like bubbles bursting at the yes. peak each like whoop. i i really i really like the way it adds to the kind of uplifting energy of that part yeah it's definitely used in a in a unusual place that you'd probably not not see it in terms of that pedal i've got the i've got that same one that same uh that same mu fx mutron clone and it's probably the best clone i've ever heard but it's very at least for me it's very difficult to dial in perfectly like you really have to sit there it's got a bunch of knobs and you really have to dial it in i mean it's one of those things where you could just plug it in and have fun but um so when i hear that sound good Right, yeah, and it's it's also different. Like every guitar um, has the pickups, the little um, little magnets that pick up the the sound of the strings. Essentially, every guitar responds differently, whether you're using single coils or humbuckers. So um, it's it's one of those things where you can tell he spent a lot of time dialing that that sound in because it sounds yeah, it's it's very euphoric. And and the pick attack has a big part of that as well. I know. Um, I've my dad and I have been trying to get his. He has a micro micro Qtron, um, and we've been trying to dial in that envelope filter for years, now, like two years now, I think. And it like works sometimes if he, you know, his guitar has to be on the right pickup uh, selection. He has to play with enough attack that it triggers the 
you know, envelope filter. It's just, it's, it's crazy how effortless Trey uh, makes it sound in this part uh, of the song, especially because it sounds like at one point, it just sounds like he's like playing so gently and lightly and it's just, and it's triggering the auto on. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's an expert move. Yeah. <laughs> and expert difficulty. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely phenomenal. That's, it's just, you know, there's a reason he's my favorite guitarist. I think I, I really like um, this this formula of kind of, you know, exploring and then building to a peak that they've gotten into the last couple of years. Like 2019 especially, um, huge percentage of jammed out tubes. Huge. Um, I, off the top of my head, I think there was, out of all the versions played, uh last year i believe there was like one that wasn't jammed out wow um but most of them were like close to 10 minutes like key change bliss peak which yes kind of cookie cutter but it's awesome sure and they're you know they're always trying to to do something whether it works or not or whether we like it or not is you know is is always up in the air but for me i'd rather i'd rather not hear tube if it's not going to be jammed that's just my my opinion if and it doesn't yeah, have to be anything and, crazy, you know. Yeah, and even if it's even if it's the you know traditional bliss peak, like that happens in a lot of versions of Everything's Right, where it starts, it's like funk jam, modulate to D or E, bliss peak, done. Sure. But they're fantastic jams, right? Because it works, you know. It's it's a tried and true method. Yeah, and it's very and to me, it's very honest. Most of the time, it's not what you know whether I like it or not is, is a different topic, but it's it seems very natural and. Um, and very yeah. of the moment doesn't doesn't seem contrived pretty much any time they do it. Um, but if you've you know seen a bliss jam every night for the last five nights, then you may have a different take on it. I mean, personally, I don't think I could get tired of it. But you know that that's just me. I I will also you know I eat up everything that the band does, and I'm definitely. Uh, I definitely fluff things. But. Well, hey, I mean, it's been what nine months since the last fish show, so I mean, I would, I would oh. do unspeakable things for even a predictable bliss jam. So I'm. I would do unspeakable things to for like a Coventry level show. It's you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? It's, yeah, it's, just uh, just for them to perform, which I'm still holding out hope for New Year's. That's. Oh, I, fingers I, crossed. I, I think you maybe maybe let down, but I hey, I, I know I, I'm, I, I hope I'm, you know I'm expecting to be let down, and I'm hoping I'm let down to the tune of Big Cypress. But you know, you mean I'm they, also like, probably going to be let down on that. <laughs> you mean you want them to um to stream, stream Big Cypress? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that would be like a, like the full the full eight hour. Long, oh yeah, long set. Oh yeah, just be in my basement by myself until. You know, with with the lovely people on Twitter until the wee hours. Until the yeah, that's uh. Hey, I'd I'd take it. Listen, it's I'm hoping either Big Cypress or New Year's '95. Ooh, that's, yeah, that would be that'd be yeah, something. 25th else. anniversary of it. That's true. Yeah, that I didn't think about that. That'd be. I feel like that's got a good good chance of that happening. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. I do want. I want to bring up one other version of Tube. Um kind of talk about which is july 6 2013 it's back this was the first version in two uh in 3.0 sorry that went out of the box a little bit um so wasn't 
really jammed out, but it was kind of going, and then Trey pulled the plug um, about five and a half minutes in, um, unfortunately, because it was like they were getting there. They were they went quiet a little bit, uh, built back up, and they were very close to modulating to D. They flirted with it, and then Trey was like, nope, we're done, which is, I mean, he did that a lot uh, in those days, which... You know, I think he's more inconsistent with that now. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that, you know, he's willing to, like, they go deep when they when they improvise, but sometimes there are questionable ripcords, especially last year. Yeah, that's, um, there's this guiding principle that a lot of people I know that, that are highly skilled improvisers um, share, and that's, if you as the player are bored, then the audience was bored five minutes ago. And I feel like he, you know, the second he feels like, you know, a mood shift or something, it's he, you know, but this is, you know, his instinct was the driving force of, of the band for even still to this day. So when he follows his instinct, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're all strapped in for the ride. Yeah. And I mean, of course, also the kind of, uh, hesitancy, hesitancy, is that a word? I think um, so. Yeah. Uh, Trey, Trey being hesitant in uh, from like you know oh nine to twenty thirteen ish was kind of understandable. Like he said in a in a fish radio interview, um, I think it was on Ask Trey uh, in twenty eighteen. He said that they like he doesn't think they got their mojo back until twenty thirteen, which I I would tend to agree with. Um, and you know it's 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 why you don't jump into a hot tub. You know you ease yourself in. Sure. Um, and so they were kind of dipping their toes in the water uh, for the first year. And that's why, you know, there were no jams uh, along, like that reached the 20-minute mark in 2010, except for like a yem. Huh. Which is an interesting tidbit, which, I mean, 2010 was a fantastic year. Like lots of great uh, shorter jams and tightness and energy, um, but nothing, you know, nothing crazy. And I think that's something we definitely take for granted nowadays, which is the level of improvisation that, you know, we've been getting from the band recently, especially since the Baker's dozen. I think um, like, you know, a lot of people complain about the quote unquote 3.0 bliss jam, um, which I think started to become really, really prevalent in 2015. Um, a lot of those summer 2015 jams go kind of that to that place, I think. Um and the Baker's Dozen had a lot of that as well. Um, but, you know, a lot of jams in 2018 and 19 have gone dark, which, you know, that appeals to people. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people. I want, give me my nightmare fuel. Um, <laughs> I want, you know, I, I love the, um, to me, and it's also unpredictability, right? I feel like right. I can hear, most of the time, I can hear a bliss jam coming from a mile away. But there are times where, and I, I'm sure you can, you know what I'm talking about where they'll yes. be jamming and they'll, they'll bust right into it kind of on a dime. And it's, and to me, that's, that's really um, very magical sounding when they, when, when it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I, I like a jam like the, uh, the Alpharetta 2018 Carini that goes bliss. And then just when you think it's going to fade into something else, it just gets dark and heavy yeah, and nasty. It's really weird. And like explodes. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that's really cool is that they're doing new things with songs that they didn't used to. Um, I like I I mean, 
they're, they're not jamming out every version of a song. Like, if you listen to Every Ghost in 1997, all of them have really sweet funk jams. Um, but, you know, they weren't... Or, or you know, in the, in the 90s, they were jamming out a lot of songs everywhere. Now, you know, it's not every show jams get placed in random spots, but it can happen at any show. And I think the surprise factors, it, one of the my favorite things about uh, the last few years is that, you know, they could drop a 20-minute jam in the first set. They probably won't, but they might. You know, and songs that used to go deep all the time, for example, like 2001, you know, doesn't usually, but then it's all the more special when they drop something like The Met last year. Yeah, for sure. It's not knowing when when or where a big jam is going to happen, I think adds to the excitement factor, especially before a show and, you know, when the lights go down, like that feeling yeah. of, you know, it, it all kind of spirals out from from that and the big and also big jams out of songs that people may or may not like especially newer songs i remember when like fuego yeah. and that kind of stuff was happening and then big jams started to come out of them and started winning people over so it's uh goes both yeah ways. that that's that's the case i always make for something like soul planet when someone's like oh that song sucks and i'm like but look at the jams <laughs> right yeah it's the uh pretty much every almost every version has some kind of big jam out of it right it's it's pretty, yeah kind pretty of common. in 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 2019, uh, it's like the last couple of versions have kind of been like, oh, like there's only a couple of minutes to jam in this one. But in 2018, like the summer 2018 versions, you have like, you know, the first one from the first show, type two, like 13 or 14 minutes. Second one was like 17 minutes. Then you had the 23 minute one. Like they're they're putting the jams, you know, like everywhere. And, you know, there's songs that were like, I think everything's right. Set your soul free and soul planet. They were all written to be big jam vehicles without a doubt. Like if you listen to how the jam section begins in each one of them, it's so open-ended. It's so, especially soul planet. I think that Trey was like, <laughs> Trey had like a, like a, we're going to screw with everyone by writing these really cheesy lyrics that everyone's going to hate but the jams <laughs> right um, i love I, lo I love that scene i think it's in in between me and my mind that that, that trey documentary where he's yeah <laughs> page's house in burlington like showing him the chords to the soul planet and page is like uh and then he's like shows him like another like the four chord and he's like uh that's it <laughs> trey's like yeah that's it yeah and then there, there's the, the uh, you reminded me of another thing in between me and my mind where he's like yeah like you know ruby waves like this song doesn't go anywhere right <laughs> And then look what happened there. Yeah. So it's it's so cool, and I I think we react differently to when they don't jam out tube now than if they when they didn't jam out tube in 2014. Right. Yeah. Because in 2014 it was like oh they're still not jamming out tube, but now it's like what they jammed it out the last 12 times they played it. What's going on here? Yeah. The, so the unpredictability it's, factor. It's it's still there in tube best band in the land yeah it's uh for a reason and also we never really know when they're jamming it out when the the blues drop hits when, when they go into the triplet section yes so it's, yes it's, <laughs> there's what there's one version that i like dick's 2017 that um i one of the very few examples of a page rip chord that i've ever heard oh really what is he what it, is he it's record? just he 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 rip chords tube um 
at that. I mean, the jam was amazing already and it had been jammed out, but um, I think Paige thought they were going to go into the blues break um, and kind of missed from, uh, I think, Trey and Fish that they like almost did, but then didn't. And then Paige started playing the chords and everyone else was like, oh, okay, I guess we're here now. So it's kind of awkward. it was just a missed cue in that in that yeah. sense. Like it was like an intentional. Like uh, he. No, no, no. I, I don't I, think. I, I think Trey's the only one that intentionally uh, cuts off jams. I think. Right, um, and the cue to go into the blues section is usually Trey looking at Fishman. Like I know he'll yes. like act like physically like turn around or face him and kind of give him a nod. Um, and sometimes he does. It, he sometimes he'll give Fish like a few bars. Sometimes he'll give him like a beat to do yeah. it and it's sometimes it's like it's really late and it's it's always fun and and it's to me it's like the sports kind of value of fish of like throwing <laughs> a pitch and seeing if they're, they're gonna hit it it's it's yeah it's kind of like that in, in musical does it work uh, yeah there, there's a lot of a lot of my notes on the key versions of tube that i did it's like rocky into the blue section abruptly into the blue section like <laughs> or yeah, like the- atypical <laughs> right the vibes are so different from the from the the funk jam into that into that blues section that it's um it, it, the tempo shifts a little bit and they all have to kind of be on it's it's not not the easiest change so i think there's a lot of a lot of room for for error over the years yeah of course of course that's it's it's a i mean it's such a great song for jams and it can you help it that it's not easy to transition into the last part right. of the song but one of my favorite things when looking at like the length of a tube like you know, they don't usually go over like 10 to 12 minutes, but you know, a 15 minute tweezer has the same amount of improvisation as a 12 minute tube. Pretty much. That's a good point. Like, the the because, song itself is like two minutes. Yeah. You're, you're in the jam in under a minute from the beginning of the song. That's true. Yeah. And then there's like two minutes of song at the end or a minute and a half. A minute and a half. At yeah. The end. So it's, it's like two minutes of song total and just, you know, got so much meat so even even the three minute ones have i mean you know if you have a six minute tweezer it's like ah but you know you have a three minute tube there's still some still some grooves in there that's a good point yeah i listen to the one from my first show in 2012 all the time um which is extremely groovy you know and page shines on a lot of these early 3.0 versions uh that don't get jammed out it's like a here's Paige. He plays the clav really well. Enjoy. Yeah, that's uh, that's always always special and one of my favorite. I just I don't I don't know why I just thought of this. The probably my favorite tube that I've ever seen was Asheville 2009. I think I think it's June eighth or ninth 2009, and it's not because it's particularly a standout version. I think I think it's okay, but. At that show, Trey tells the story about how he wrote, how he um, wrote yes. Tube, and he how he is um, when the band was at least him, uh, Trey and Fishman. I think at one point were living together in the eighties, and uh, Fishman went to go do something, and Trey found Fishman's uh, Fish's journal and wrote three songs from from the pages: uh, it's Dog Face Boy, Tube, and I believe Gumbo. So yeah. he wrote all three of those tunes, kind of in I, I think like in the same like in an afternoon or something like or within. Um, yeah, it's like you know, Tom's not available. Right. See what's in that journal over there. In his, in his acid journal of, of ramblings. And um, and that's why half the lyrics to Tube make no sense because um, I don't think he could read all of Fishman's handwriting possibly and, and make and up some honestly, words. Honestly, it could have been written by Tom 
1990 as well. Like same kind of nonsensical lyrics that uh, are in a lot of fish songs. Right. Could have been an email exchange uh, between people that they made into a little poem. So (laughs) do one of those like like you sit in a circle and everyone says a word and you make a story. Yes. And asteroid crashed and nothing burned. <laughs> Man, I love I love doing that. And in high school, I remember my friends and I used to do that all the time. We'd do like all the take time. Like a paper plate and like write, we'd pass a pen and, and write and we just laugh for hours. And I remember I got to college and I tried to like get people to do it and they looked at me like I was an idiot. I was like, it's really fun, especially if you're like if you're drinking and like we're hanging out, it's like it's gonna be fun, guys. And like yes. we made like a sentence and I was like, Ah, oh, no one wants to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's that's it's pretty solid. It's a great song. Go go listen to our versions um, that we picked. They're, they're very good. Um, thank you, Amar, so much for being on today. It's been lovely to speak with you and have this discussion with you. Um, we apologize for all our tangents. We hope you enjoyed our tangents. I apologize for no tangents at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Hope to hope to have you back at some point. Um, cool, man. Thanks. It was great thank being you here. So much. Yeah. You bet. So, thank you. Thank you for listening to episode two of We Move Through Stormy Weather. Uh, we'll see you next time. Have a great day. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.